Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you on the 4th of July and to uh, celebrate this day of phenomenal independence and freedom and blessing we have. I just want to start by saying that to the people that are here and even online that have served and are in active duty now or served before, and also, most importantly, maybe even their families as well, the price paid for our freedom was not free. I know it's become a slogan, but it's gospel true. I mean, we have freedoms because other people said, we're going to stand up on behalf of of that freedom, and we're going to pay the price for it. So welcome and happy 4th of July today. I hope you have barbecues planned, good things going on. I'm going to go to a Hawaiian barbecue after this, uh, first one I've ever been to, so I'm pretty excited to go to that. We're going to study this morning, uh, keep going on in the sermon series that we've been doing. We, we've looked at uh, this sermon series here called Get Up and Go, and the idea was that the first half of the year, Pastor Doug taught a, a bunch of different teachings about how we build our fundamental faith and how we walk in that with truths and more and, and understanding. And in that, we said, okay, well, what would the second half of the summer look like, or the second half of the year starting into summer look like about getting up and going? So last week, we talked about getting up and going and being intimate, learning to have intimacy in all of our relationships. Uh, if you haven't seen that or you weren't here for it, make sure you go back to it and look at that one. We'll talk about what it means to have a true intimate relationships with other people and how the Bible teaches us to do that. Today, we're going to talk about how we get up and go resolve our conflicts. One of the most powerful things that we don't understand or don't know about a lot of times from what happened in the Revolutionary War is that 12 years beforehand, a group of people began writing letters back to the British saying, look, this is not right. This is not working. These things you're doing are oppressive. This is not working out well. Let's come resolve our conflicts. In uh, 1767 and 1768, there was a guy named John Dickerson who wrote under the pseudonym of a farmer. He said, hey, it's just a farmer, and I'm observing these things. And what he did was he wrote 12 letters uh, that said, here are all the places that you are taxing us that are illegal. And so they began circulating among the colonists. As you can imagine, this dispute was known by all because they were being taxed oppressively. And they finally got together, and it was actually those letters by that farmer, if you will, uh, who wrote them. Uh, that started the energy that coalesced the first, congrega- uh, the first con- uh, Congress that was ever brought together in the United States happened because of those letters and what happened in that grievance. I'm not, I'm not saying it to be trite, but I, w- I want to say this. This country was born out of conflict resolution. This country was born out of a group of people who said, this is not working, let's work together to make it right. And so in that process, they... On this day in 1776 said, yep, okay, we've tried to resolve the conflicts. This is how we're going to resolve it. We are free and we are independent. We're going to talk today about biblical relationships and how in those relationships what we do is we actually build healthy forms of resolving conflict. Because those people that started out this country, they were either deists or followers of Jesus Christ, but they were people that were rooted in the biblical truths of God. And out of that, they knew they wanted to resolve conflicts. The question we have today is this, why are we so far out still living in so much conflict, even with ourselves? Why is it that we landed the free home of the brave 
yet now have all this turmoil and conflict, and I think it's because we haven't resolved any. We haven't worked together. We haven't built those. And of course, it's a lot more layered than that and a lot deeper than that. And I don't mean to make it trite today, but I do believe that us resolving conflicts make a difference. In fact, it creates freedom to be able to be free from all that worry and concern and hatred and vitriol and response and retaliation. Those were blessings that come from conflict resolution. So we're going to look into that today. We're going to take a little bit of a, a, a side jaunt, if you will, when we start. But I want to give you the basis for this, this sermon series in this verse because it requires this if you're going to be a person that has the fortitude to resolve conflicts in your life. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, i.e. read fear, uh, but of power, love, and discipline. Very important to see here is that, is that along the way, what happens is in Christianity, he's being co-opted by this idea of, well, just be timid and don't have a, a feelings or thoughts. And if you do, share them very tenderly. And all. Well, yeah, there's something to be said about kindness, and there's a beautiful thing to be said about gentleness. But at the same time, God did not call us to be fierce, fearful people. We aren't meant to live timid lives. But importantly, he gave us three things that we're to grow in. And that is this, is that he offers to us power, love, and discipline. Hear me, an observation worth noting. When any of those three are not coupled together, they too can become the mallets of tyranny in other people's lives. Right? We won't go into that a whole lot, but I just want to say to you, they were meant to be a three-pack, and that is his power, love, and discipline, and that they guide us in our lives. What we're doing for this Sunday is we're going to talk about a topic that no one wants to talk about. How do we resolve conflict? I mean, some of you, I know just by the nature, and I, we have, remember, we have four kids. We have a couple of, uh, do, a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law, have an extended family, loads of friends as well, is that just talking about conflict is painful, Right? Talking about conflict sometimes blows up just the peace we have. We'd rather just avoid it and not have any of it. Let me give you a couple declarative statements of what we want to talk about today. And that is this. Conflict is a normal part of human interaction. It is. It's normal. It happens in your life, happens in my life. Somewhere along the way, we, we've built some utopian idea that says, well, conflict is just something bad and we should avoid it at all costs. Well, there's normal conflict. All right, do me a favor. Whatever you got in your hands, just put it down for a second and just take your hands and do this with me, okay? So start rubbing your hands. Just humor me for a second. We won't go very long, okay? Some of you probably doing it fast enough where you start to feel a little bit of heat right now. Okay, now I want you to rev it up and go a little faster, okay? This is what happens when you interact with other people. It gets a little warm, right? Okay, now do it like this, really fast. Okay, that's what it feels like to interact with people on Eagle Road, okay? <laughs> You feel that? Okay, anybody ready to go to Fairview and Eagle with me right now? Okay. If you have jewelry on, you're probably already, you know, calling the police at this moment, right? Because you had a fender bender there on fear. This is human interaction. It happens. Conflict is a normal part of that. Conflict resolution is a normal part of healthy relationships. Conflict avoidance is what causes us the pain and struggle we have. Look, we're going to deal with it now or deal with it later. Deal with it now. The Bible says, have this courage. We weren't meant to be timid. Have this courage. Face it now. Deal with it now. Deal with it while it's small. Not deal with it when it gets huge. Deal with it when it's a small thing rather than the big things. And hey, if you get to the place where it's the big things, come talk with someone. We'll help you sort of like pull the bumpers apart and all that sort of thing and say, all right, now how do we reset and keep going along the way because it is worth going through life 
together. Conflict is a normal part. It's so important to God that he says this about when we come here to church or when we come here to worship. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be guilty before the court, and whoever is angry uh, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to hell. You need to know a little bit of Hebrew for a moment. These are three distinctive things going on. The first one he says, uh, oops, sorry, we'll go back on that verse again. The first one he says is, is that when you're angry with your brother, you could be guilty for the court. And what he, what he means by that is, is, is that when there is a, a problem and you guys decide you're going to go to court over it because you're angry, you could be guilty. And I want you to see a progression. By the way, in our culture, anger is the acceptable form of hatred. Hatred is the acceptable form of murder. We still haven't figured out a way to come up with a socially acceptable form of murder yet, have we? But that's the progression, okay? Now, he says in this one, he says, when you're good for nothing, he's basically saying, you're not worth God's time and you're not worth my time. The third one gets really pretty in-depth, and that is, is to call someone rock a fool in that culture was literally to say, God damn you, okay? So the progression here is going on. He's saying, look, I know how this works. Starts out with angry. You want to go to court. You're going to sue somebody. And then you go, oh, you're worthless. So you cut them out of your life. And then the last part, you go, you don't even deserve to go to heaven is the third one. Now, so look what Jesus teaches. This is in Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, you're giving to God, and there you remember your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Here's what God does, and it's a sneaky part of the Christian faith that a lot of us don't ever think about, and that is this, is that how we reconcile with others really, really, really matters to God. A lot. You go through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. All the way down, it says, lead us not into temptation, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And in there, it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You may know what verse 14, the, the, right after the Lord's Prayer, the first thing that Jesus says, if you won't forgive your brother whom you can see, how can you expect God in heaven to forgive you? Our relationships matter to God, and resolving conflicts really matter to God as well. In fact, he said, before you come before me, go do this work. Uh, there's a couple of things that I think are important that we should talk about for a moment, and, and that is where does conflict begin a lot of times? Uh, while we were doing the podcast this last week, Jesse, who hosts that, asked me a question in the middle of the podcast, and it sort of really stirred my thought about it, and I thought, wow, okay, that man, we need to think that out a little bit. And his question was this, there seems to be a lot of conflict that goes on in families. W why is that? And where does that start from? Well, I thought about it a little bit, prayed about it a little bit, finished up a little more study around it. And, 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 but even then, during that thing, I said, it, it's kind of straightforward and simple. Any learning environment comes with conflict. Any learning environment comes with conflict. Think about it for just a second. There is struggle in the per parenting relationship with a child because you're teaching them to grow in who they are to become in their walk and in their life and as citizens in the world. We always had this thought, believe me, our kids have had wonderful, enjoyable childhoods. At least they say that. And so, uh, but here's the deal. We weren't raising kids. We were raising adults who were at the moment kids. 
because we knew they were going to make their way out into the world and have a human dynamic and relationship in a lot of places where people don't love them and people don't care about them and people don't like them. And so we were training and raising them up. But in that, we had a responsibility to teach them how to resolve conflict. Everything you're going to hear from today was something we've been doing for 20-some years in our home. Okay? And so we're going to walk that through a little bit. Um, But I want to say this one part. It's easier to make friendships than it is to have a family. And you know why? Because you don't go to your friends for teaching. You don't ask your friends to correct you. Do you go to your friends and ask them to correct you? No. That's why it's so easy to have friendships. Because friendships just all talk about the things they have mutually in common that they enjoy and they love doing. Right? So friendships should feel easier to us because there's not a teaching environment involved in that. Anywhere there's a teaching environment, there is struggle. Think about what goes on. What are the greatest things that our legislature tries to figure out? Where to put the money in education? Because there's always conflict about how and what and where. And and by the way, they're young and immature and they're growing and going along the way. So in that, what it really made me think about was we have a resource that a lot of you guys don't know about. And that is is that uh, Kim Cross is here, works in our church, and she she works in the family ministries, but she oversees a lot of parent coaching and a lot of parent encouragement and a lot of parent redirect and a lot of parent kid gatherings to say, hey, you know, if it's going off the rails a bit, let's talk for a minute. I asked her to film for us something earlier this week that I think will help you a lot to begin to understand how conflict sometimes feels bigger in a family, but it is really a great opportunity to grow. So let's listen to Kim for a few minutes. Hi, I'm Kim Cross, the Family Ministries Director here at Foothills Christian Church and your personal parenting coach. A child's immediate family remains the greatest predictor of success in life. Positive childhood experiences can have amazing long-term benefits, but negative childhood experiences can have serious consequences on our future relationships, our overall health, our communication, and on our ability to resolve conflict. One of the principles I teach my clients is this. Life is learning. Parenting is teaching. Okay, some things need repeating. Life is learning. Parenting is teaching. We can be effective teachers that are both loving and powerful, or we can neglect our job and allow others to do the teaching, or we can teach in a destructive way. We know that parenting is a very impactful role and that it shapes the world. Why? Because it shapes impressionable souls who become the future and who shape others. The impact of parenting is both generational and eternal. A lot of what we teach as parents is value-based. We have a built-in moral sensor that lets us know when something is right or wrong. But children are immature, inexperienced, and not fully developed, so their sense of morality isn't clear or complete. They must rely on us to be their moral guide and teacher, just as we adults rely on God to be ours. That's God's design. A mistake a lot of parents make is to assume that their children know what to do and how to behave. They expect their children to obey and that they should know better. Parents get frustrated and angry when their children are naughty or make mistakes. If parents don't know what to do about this, they either yell and try to control their children or they do nothing. Neither of these approaches teaches anything. Instead, it destroys relationships and futures. 
Here's a question for you. How can they know what is right or wrong if we haven't taught them? Children don't learn through lecture, anger, shame, guilt, intimidation, or bribery. Children do learn from us, their primary role models and teachers. They learn from experience and consequences. Sometimes this involves trial and error, where we experiment and then learn what works and what doesn't. And often this means we need to reteach again and again as necessary. So, what is the job description of a parent? Well, it's to teach love. Create and foster a healthy, respectful, and loving relationship where communication is open, honest, and calm. It's also to provide for their needs. You know, food, shelter, clothing, security, and belonging. It is also to teach limits. Freedom always comes with responsibility. Boundaries are necessary and a part of life. If a child thinks that their parents are not in charge, then they'll think that they don't need to listen to their teachers future employers, or sometimes law enforcement. Our job is also to teach values, right versus wrong. God's truths and limits are there to set up for our good. They provide us with freedom or free will, but that always comes with responsibility that keeps us safe and filled with a life of fewer regrets. Also, our job is to teach independence, confidence in who we are in Christ, in ourselves, our beliefs, and our convictions. We can navigate the world with both freedom and responsibility so that we're both confident and competent. So, what is not part of a job of a parent? It's to make our children happy and provide for all their wants. But if we teach love, provide for their needs, teach them limits and values, and teach them how to be independent, responsible adults, most likely they'll be happy. Children are bored sinners, just as we are, and they need to learn right from wrong. How we teach this and what we teach falls on us. If we don't teach our children right from wrong, the culture will. And you know this, today's culture is heading more and more down the path of wants versus needs. It's pursuing freedom without responsibility. This is like driving a car without speed limits or brakes, eventually, it's going to crash. In this parenting teaching environment, you should know that conflict is normal, especially in the family environment. We've all heard of the saying that fish goes bad after three days, but families are together for decades. So of course there's going to be conflict. Conflict over what's right and wrong. Conflicts over limits and boundaries. Conflicts over freedom versus responsibility. And conflicts over wants versus needs. Family is a bunch of sinners, mature and immature, healthy and dysfunctional, backgrounds of security and insecurity, all living together under one roof trying to figure it out or just to survive. But gratefully, God has given us a means for healthy conflict resolution. Pastor Harv is teaching us about this today. Conflict may be normal, but it's challenging, and how we navigate it is critical. Please apply the principles of conflict management that Harv is teaching today. The sooner the better. So parents, it's pay now or pay later. Learn how to parent. Learn skills that will teach you how to be both loving and powerful. Learn how to listen to your children so your children will talk to you. 
and learn how to talk to your children so they'll listen to you. Learn how to resolve conflict so you will enjoy healthy, happy family relationships for the rest of your life. Learn why children misbehave and what to do about it so you can teach them otherwise. And learn what their critical needs are and how to meet them. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. So life is learning. Parenting is teaching. Parents, please teach your children right from wrong so they adopt your values, not the world's. Something I always told my kids when they were growing up, if you need help, I'm here, just ask. So if you need parenting help, I'm here, just ask. You know, some of us could just stop the sermon right there and hear some powerful teachings. Hopefully you did, and you'll pour them into your heart, and you'll let them kind of come over the top of your heart. I know this is difficult. So Shadley and I have a 26-year-old, 24-year-old, and then a 19-year-old and a 13-year-old. So we, parenting was so much fun, we kept having kids. And so what's been interesting is this, is that I will tell you that the beginning of parenting with our oldest ones, the world has changed dramatically since we were parenting them at these younger ages. The world's changed dramatically, and I'll tell you what's happened. We are, you, we, I know you don't feel this. I know you don't feel it, but it's real. We live at a time of the greatest wealth the world has ever known. We can, literally, I could sit up here with a computer, tap a couple of keys, and I could have things being delivered in two-hour service right here to the building. We can get anything we want right now where, wherever we are. We are living in a place where limits are hard to teach and harder than ever. Why? Because these little devices, I don't have one up here, but these little devices are in everything and they're growing more and more and more as a director and guide of our kids' lives. Teaching limits about what we want and what we need is critical. You know what I found too is that it's in James chapter four. The source of all of our quarrels is this. I have, uh, we want something, but we don't have it. So we quarrel and fight to get it. Go look at it. It's James chapter four, verse one. It's the source of all quarreling. Wants versus needs. Think about it. A lot of the problems we have in relationships are like that, whether it's in work, whether it's wherever. I hope you'll tap into Kim because she's a phenomenal resource here in our church and a phenomenal part of the ministry that we do here. Let's go into this Ephesians chapter four, and I'm going to give you a quick run through process of how we resolve biblical conflict. So here in James chapter, uh, sorry, I say James, but in Ephesians chapter four, the first thing you want to do when we begin to resolve conflict is we begin to speak the truth in love. Last week, I talked about the value of honesty and how important it is to have honesty in our relationships. Hear me again. To the degree that we speak lies in our relationships is the ceiling of intimacy that we'll ever have, and it will be the point of so much conflict. Let me help you with a little topic for a second. Up until eight years old, they kind of think that everything we say is absolutely true. At nine, they figure out that, you know what? People lie. And they find out a little bit earlier too, but at, but at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, they go, people lie and they also get away with it. The gospel says, if you want to resolve truth, it begins with speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up into all aspects in him. Notice these words, grow up. Maturity means I can speak the truth with others. Now, how I speak it is also important. I can speak the truth in love, but I can also speak the truth with malice and hate. I can take the truth and stick it in your face, and so can you. 
Delivery matters. You heard Kim talk about how delivery matters. Is that we are to grow up in all aspects into him, even into Christ. The first thing is we speak the truth in love, and it's important because our kids know how we're doing it. One of the hardest things to do and manage in our parenting is tone. Tone. One of the hardest things to have in our relationships at work is tone. It's not what they said usually that irks us, is it? It's, say it with me, how they say it, right? It's how they say it that matters. Speak the truth in love. The second thing here uh, to see about how we grow down is uh, go to in Ephesians 4 is stop acting like godless people whose lives are often filled with unresolved conflict. One of the things that we have to decide as followers of Christ is this. Do we want to just live the way the world lives and then sprinkle a little Jesus dust on it? Or do we actually want to be followers of Christ? Look at what the verses say in verse 17 to 19. It says here, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Well, well, what does he think that looks like? What does he think that looks like? Well, they're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Why? Because of ignorance. They didn't want to learn. That is a head. So you get a head head that gets headstrong and ignorant and, and that is holds that position that is in them because of the hardness of heart. So what happens is we get headstrong and hard-hearted. And what's the third thing that happens? After you get headstrong and hard-hearted, you look into this, and then having become callous, they've given themselves over to sensuality. Let me show you a progression that's very straightforward and simple. Here's what happens. We, we refuse to have the mind of Christ, so what we do is we harden our hearts, and then when we harden our hearts and we do this long enough, what happens when you do this long enough? You build up calluses. And so what we do is we get headstrong, hard-hearted, and calloused in our heart. And you know what happens after that? And here's a weird thing. If you don't, if you don't believe the Bible, peace to you, man. I mean, I, no, no worries and all like that. In fact, I came to it like, ah, yeah, I don't know about all those stories. But sociologically speaking, they nail it. And here's what's nailed. Headstrong, hard-hearted, calloused hearts, but people still want to feel something. So what happens? Giving themselves over to sensuality. Sensuality is the word for any form of kind of love I could get, which is what happens is in a hardened and calloused heart, we take out love, we put in lust. We take out love, we put in lust. And so what happens is that we lust for the practice of every kind of impurity with greed. You know what this is? This is narcissistic lust. He's saying, you harden, you, you, sorry, you headstrong, hard-hearted, calloused heart, you still want to feel something. Is it, I mean, see how this plays out? I mean, is the Bible's just, I mean, blow me away true. The third thing that we're told in, in doing this with our relationships is this. We need to escape the patterns of a godless world. The world is pounding on us, pounding on us, pounding on us about how to do all this stuff. It, and, and I have a simple, pragmatic thought. How's it working out there? not very well. Well, maybe I'll have the audacity to try it a little different way. How do we do that? We must redo that, renew that by, do that by renewing the spirit of our mind. God goes back to the source and says, it's in here. You have wrong thinking and your wrong thinking is leading to wrong acting because it goes from here to here to here. You see that progression? I mean, this is just straightforward biblical truth. So we're working towards conflict resolution. So let's look at the next verses. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Here's the hard part. The old self wants to be proven right. The new self wants to be reconciled into harmonious relationships. You got to make this decision. You ready? You want to be right? Or do you want to be reconciled? You don't usually get both. 
You want to be right? I mean, we do have this phrase in our culture called cut off your nose to spite your own face, right? I mean, I've watched people, I, I have watched people blow up their careers and when, in, in the work world. And when I was working in downtown Denver, just literally cut off their nose to spite their face because I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to cost you 50 grand in fees. I don't care. Okay, well, fair enough. Um, that in reference to you, lay aside the old self. You've got to decide those patterns are not working, which is being corrupted in according being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Oh, friends, why do we spend so much time, energy, and effort here studying the word of God together? It's because we want to grow in our understanding of biblical truth and we want to have the knowledge of God that guides and shapes from our head to our heart to our hands. Otherwise, we become headstrong, hard-hearted, and calloused in how we do it. God's got a better way. He's got a much better way. If you notice that progression, it's quite intense. Let's go to the fourth one here for a moment. Speaking the truth to each other matters, and it actually avoids a lot of conflict. He goes back and reiterates how much truth-telling is important when it comes to conflict resolution. Let's see what it says in the verse. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with your neighbor. If you just wanted to live a simple life, follow these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and self. Uh, and, and being and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And here's, here's the most important thing. Catch this. Jesus plays a game with you on this. You ready? He's saying, you want to know how to love you, love your neighbor, go look at how you love yourself. It's pretty straightforward, right? Is how you love yourself is actually how you will love your neighbor. And how you love yourself in the spirit of Christ will guide and lead and direct a lot of your lives. He says, go speak the truth with your neighbor. You come back to that old Jack Nicholson line, right? You can't handle the truth. Let me give you a little line, though. Truth is easier to handle than a load of lies. My brother Charlie and I, we grew up in Germany. We were both born in Germany. Germans love mustard. I mean, if you're, you may love mustard. I'm, man, I'm a mustard guy. Forget the ketchup. Give me mustard, right? I, I, confession, Shadley, she went to a family reunion this weekend, weekend and so she's out and about uh, in Colorado. I went, in, I went into Albertsons the other day, and I just stood in the mustard aisle, and I went, what would she think if I bought like five or six of these, right? So let me show you how we made sandwiches when, I, when, my, when we were growing up. We took that white Wonder Bread, which you know was filled with like minus six nutrition, right? We took white Wonder Bread. We threw the white Wonder Bread down. Then we took that coagulated orange-yellow stuff called American cheese, and we put it on top of that. And then we took a slice of wholesome bologna and put it right on top of that. And then we had another piece of that Wonder Bread. And we were not underachievers, mind you. We worked hard at this. We did it twice, and we built these double-decker cheese and bologna and mustard sandwiches. And you can just imagine going forward from that. If you're a mom or a dad or whoever, and you've done laundry in that process... Here's what happens when you let it go on. You take a bite out of that, and it all squirts out the back, right, and all over your shirt. That's exactly what happens when what we do is, is stop pe speaking truth. We speak falsehoods, and what we do is we stack it up and 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 stack it up, stack it up until we get so much stacked in there that we don't know where to start. And so what do we do? We throw it away. We throw it away. Or even if we do take a bite into it, it causes such a mess 
that there's going to be enormous cleanup disproportionate. Speak the truth. If you hear me on this, if we can't hear truth spoken in love, it might be our issues. How many of you drove here this morning? Raise your hands. Drove here this morning. Anybody walk, run, jog? No? Russ, you didn't run down from the house? Okay. You know what you all, you all did? You drove here in something, and you also drove here in a, in, a, in a vehicle that has two things. Ready? Blind spots. Blind spots. You want to speak the truth and love into your relationships? How you speak it is, is so much different. It makes so much of a difference. Hear me. When we're driving down the road and someone sees something in our blind spot and they scream at us, we nearly go off the road from the screech, right? What happens when someone sees something wrong in our lives and they scream at us at that point? Does that help? Probably not. But we do have blind spots. And in those blind spots, what we have to do is, is that we need to believe that God will come and teach us his truth, which is why we show up on a Sunday or why we watch on a podcast or why we watch from streaming. is because we're saying, God, give us some biblical truth so that we can go out and face a world that is built on half-truths. You and I have blind spots. One of them should not be that we're not able to hear the truth or speak the truth in love. So moving forward here, uh, into the direct words around conflict resolution. Be angry. This is how, uh, in, in Ephesians 4.26. Be angry here is referring to righteous anger that happens. There's righteous anger that happens in our relationships when someone violates someone else. That's true. There's righteous anger. But righteous anger is not about vengeful anger. It's about anger that says, hey, that's wrong. I guarantee you, if all of us were out there on State Street right now and we saw something unjust happen to a child or happen to a vulnerable person, we would, we would rise up with anger, wouldn't we? That's righteous anger. The problem is, is that we have, usually there's about this much righteous anger, and then we go, no, 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 God, I'll take it from here. Well, thank you very much, right? And so what we do is we, we put God to the back, and then we go, all right, now we're going to get back at you. That is not helpful. Conflict resolution is not me getting my way now in a way that's got flowered language around it. Be angry here and yet do not sin. Let's look at the verse here, verse 26. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry is righteous anger. Sinful anger is the vengeful one that says, no, no, God, step back. I got this. Remember that first early verse? Angry with the brother, called him a good for nothing, and then said, you can go to hell. That's what happens with this. God says, no. Be righteous anger, because if there's a violation, we need to deal with it. But don't sin in it. Don't let the sun, and then, then there's a third one. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In Idaho, we kind of have, if you will, by God, a bonus gift, and that is, is he says, you know, work on this today. But in Idaho, we get, a, we get an extra hour, right? I mean, so we get that extra hour in the evening, we're, okay, we're going to work on it. I'll give you a couple things about that. I'm not telling, this is, this is how I do it. You figure out how you're going to do it. Shadley and I, we, 31 years of marriage, imperfect marriage as it gets, imperfect marriage as it gets. Love, we love each other uh, in wonderful, wonderful ways. We're just, I'm just saying to you, we're not perfect. And in that, when we've had conflict with each other, we've always stuck to this idea that we will not let the sun set on our anger because nothing good happens after that. We don't let the sun set on our anger. We've sat up until midnight and before we went to bed and said, okay, let's work this through. Let's talk it out. Let me give you one other tip, okay? Married couples, don't argue in bed. Make love, not war. That room is for making love, not making war. 
Okay? If you're going to have an argument, you go out there into some place in the house and you have a conversation about it. Do not confuse the place of peace with a place of rage or a place of anger or a place of upsetness. Okay? It's a small tip. You might want to use that. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger. God's literally looking at you and saying, going, at the top end, you've got 24 hours. Work it out. Stop building the sandwich. Stop right now. Stop when you see what's going to happen and say, hey, I want to deal with this. And how do we deal with it? Verse 27 or sorry, what happens if we don't? Verse 27 says this. When you don't resolve conflict, you and I give the devil an opportunity. Don't let sin linger. What's, what, what does it say in the scripture? And do not give the devil an opportunity. You let the sun go down. You let the sun go down on your anger. It will get worse. It will. Do you know why? You'll forget why you're angry at each other a little bit. You'll just be angry. And then one person will wake up the next morning all happy and great and good and like that. And the other person rolls over and says, oh, you're happy? And they go, oh, right, right. We had it out yesterday. Do not let the sun set on your anger. Because what it does is it gives the devil an opportunity. Two things happen. Our memory gets worse and our anger gets bigger. It just does. You'll get to the point. I guarantee you there are people in our lives that we look at and we go, I, I, they seem like nice people, but I'm supposed to be angry with them for some reason. What, tell me why I'm angry with them again. What, what, oh, right, they did that. That is a cruddy way to live. It's a terrible way to live. And what it does is it gives this guy all opportunity you can imagine. Let's move forward. Let me give you a little bit of language about how we sort things out. Number, number, uh, sin makes conflicts worse. One of the things that happens in the conflict usually is this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. If you're like me, I read the Bible once and I go, wait, wait, we were talking about conflict resolution. Why are we in thievery now? He's giving you an illustration. Here's the illustration. Is that part of conflict resolution comes with the right to say, stop doing that. Especially sinful things. Stop doing that. The blind spots of our lives include these things. Sinful things unhealthy patterns we learned when we were children, and usually things that are around, uh, in and around and involve addiction. Okay? Those three things usually guide a lot of the problems that create the blind spots in our lives. And what happens is, is that conflict resolution, and here right here is the rub. You want to check out? Here's a place to just check out. The rub is the other person has the right to say, especially in Christ, stop doing that. In fact, he says, stop doing it so much that you go from being a thief to a person who provides to people who have needs. In fact, you go from being a thief to being a person who is actually now a proactive builder of that which is good. Part of conflict resolution is there are things we do that we have the right to say, please stop. Remember when Kim was talking about parenting? She said one of the hardest things to teach and where the rub happens in parenting is this. We have to show our children limits between wants and needs. One of the reasons why we're teaching our children limits of wants and needs is because there are times when they take it so far that lust takes over. They want more and more and more plastic on Sunday, uh, on Christmas morning. They want more and 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 more. And you know what? We have the right to, we have the ability now to buy it. Hear me, parent. Because you can afford it does not mean they need it. It doesn't. They may not need it. In here, he says, we have the right to address a topic. Because what happens, guys, is, is usually someone has enabled them. Because if, you don't, if we don't always get what we want, we go steal 
to go get it. So the next verse then tells us the, the, uh, another thing that's a detriment to conflict resolution. Uh, it's found in this next point here. Our mouths make conflict worse. Our mouths make conflict worse. It says in the Bible that the mouth is like a rudder that steers a small little bitty thing and steers massive ships and changes the course of history. Our mouth is like a, a fire that catches one little spark that starts the whole forest ablaze. What happens is, is that with our mouths, we make it worse. When someone hurts you, one of the greatest gifts and skills that we can learn is this. We don't need to wretchedly lash out back. Because it makes it worse. Let's see the scripture. Verse 29 and 30. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification means build up. The first thing that you, if you want a good discipline, if, you're, if this is your struggle, okay, a good discipline is this. Be quiet for a little bit. And if you're the other person and you're that aggressive stopper, back up a little bit. Because that next word usually is this, is that level two infractions go to level nine infractions with one mouth. One mouth. It gets worse. He's saying, only give those things which will bring edification in the moment and the need of the moment. Sometimes the need of the moment is just be quiet. Sometimes the need of the moment is, son, I love you. I care about you. This isn't going to feel right and it doesn't feel good to you, but you're not driven by your feelings. We are here building a life together. And the reason why we do this is this. When it, here's where, you know why everybody talks about teenagers, teenager era getting so hard? You know why I say it's so hard? Because somewhere between 8, 9, 10, and 11, and 12, they start to go from, because I said so is enough, to going, why? And then it's not just how they say why. It's not, not just that they say why, it's what? How they say why, right? Why is such a big thing in their parents when we've been training them and developing? It, there are reasons for it. The reason why I don't want you to have that fourth toy that looks like the other three toys is because we don't need to be gluttons and we don't need to own everything because after a while, the, everything owns us. So son, three is enough. We're good, right? Anyway, uh, for the, and what it does, it gives grace to those who hear. Let me give you some real language that you know. And so it says, oh, sorry, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit uh, by whom you are sealed for the day. Here's what God is saying. He's looking out at you sociologically and he's saying this. When there's an offense and you pop off and go from a two to a nine, what happens is this. You, you invite me to get out of it. You just tell me, poof, I don't know what we're going to start to solve first, Right. Which one do we start with? I mean, do we start with a nine with the mouth or do we start with a two that was just, hey, I'm sorry, I forgot to pick up the loaf of bread, right? What happens is, is that the Holy Spirit of God is grieved because what you're really saying is, God, just you know, get out of here, right? No, God, you're not even invited into this because you're, yeah, no. That's what mouthing off does. So move forward just a little bit. So we're gonna give you a progression here. Um, um, of this is unresolved conflict leads to progressively worse pain. Let me show you again, sociologically. I love the Bible. It just speaks to it. It gives you a whole progression from this verse. Verse 30 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all other sorts of malice. I want to show you an inverted list. This list is actually inverted because what he's saying is this. If you don't resolve conflict, you will go down this street. Okay. What does this street look like? Six repercussions of unforgiveness. One is mal, malice. The Spanish word, Latin word, what, for bad, is what? Mal, right? 
So, so it's this word for malice, and that is, the first thing is, you'll just continue to be operating in bad things. The second thing is, is that when that person has done something to you and you have not resolved that conflict, what's the first thing we do? We need to tell someone else about it. So what do we do? We call our best friend, we call our bro, we call somebody else, and you know what we do? Is that we now build a case against the other person because we slander, and what is slander? Slander is thievery of someone else's good name for no cause. What we're doing is we're building up a group of people who will stand with us and say, you are wrong. Okay, so we go from malice, just bad things. Remember, we're building a sandwich, right? We go to malice, the bad things, and then we start telling other people to get on our side about bad things. And when those other people are kind of wondering whether they should be on our side, what we do is we, we clamor. If I was preaching, and the whole time I was preaching, I did this with you, at some point you go, I, I, I just have to leave, right? Because you get agitated, right? You go, I didn't go in there agitated, but he just wouldn't stop. Here's what clamor is. Something bad happened. I told other people about it. I'm going to create the environment again so we get to reenact what happened. Let me show you what a terrible person they are. Look, I got to tell you, if you came in my office and did this to my head for about 20 minutes, I might not be the person you think I am up here. Okay? Right? I'm, I'm just saying, right? You can make anyone angry. And so what happens is, is that the world does this. The world does malice. It gets its own tribe and clan to agree with it. It creates situations that prove the point of the malice. And then what happens is we go, ah, now we get that juicy thing called anger. And by the way, if you're paying attention, taking, home, taking notes at home, this word for anger in the Greek is different than this word for anger in the Greek. They're very similar, but this one is uh, murder two. This one's murder one. Malice leads to slander, leads to clamor, leads to anger. And that is I combust. I just lose it. Okay, that's murder two, spontaneous anger. This one is, I'm going to plan out your destruction. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. I'm going to find a way to destroy your life. And then after all that happy land goes on, when you leave Disney World and we paid $180 a person to go in for having all the fun in the happiest place in the world, and we get to the parking lot and the kid melts down and the parents melt down and all that stuff happens is whatever, is that it takes us to this last little ride at Disney World called Bitterness Land, right? There's some people, bless their hearts, they spend their nights in Disney World at Bitterness Land, just going around and around the teacups celebrating, we're in Bitterness Land, Right? And so what happens is, guys, we get this. We are watching. Am I wrong? We're watching this, aren't we? We are watching this. Some of you are going to go to Disneyland later in the summer, and you're going to go, I'm going to find Bitterness Land, take a picture, and send it to Pastor Hart. <laughs> Absolutely. But Bitterness Land is real. Bitterness. Have you ever been around really bitter people? I have. They're just seething with all those things. The simplest thing that's on offer for you today, ready? Conflict resolution. I'm going to give you three little quick lines. Guys, maybe find it in the slides. But I want to give you three quick lines that are very important about how you're going to resolve your conflict. And they're all about you saying, I am sorry for, or I apologize for this. Will you please forgive me? You come to our house, and, you, and if you want to talk with any of our kids, and something's going on, you go, hey, how do you guys work things out? They'll go, well, you say, I'm sorry for, and then you go, okay, well, I'm sorry for this. Will you please forgive me? And the other person, you know, here's what my success rate is on the first chance at what I think I did and it was wrong. I'm really sorry for this. Will you please forgive me? Well, that's not what I'm upset about. Let me give you an illustration. 
If I came to you guys today and I said, I'm really sorry for not preparing for my sermon today. I know I wasted a bunch of your time and all like that. Would you please, uh, sorry, I'm really sorry I didn't prepare. I wasted your time. Would you please forgive me? You might go, well, yeah, we would forgive you. But, but what you're really saying is you don't value my life, Harv. We came in collectively. I did the math on this. If we did this, it's 29 days of collective time by the average attendance we have here. 29 days of all of your time together to come here and hear this sermon this morning. And what the 29 days of all of you could come together and say is this. Yes, Harv, we forgive you, but next week would you prepare? Fair? You see what I'm saying is, is that I will forgive you, but stop doing that. Okay? And I come back and say... I, I promise you I will, I will prepare. Or what if I came back and I said, well, you guys just don't know good preaching. Do you guys even know the Bible? Let's go to Hezekiah 14, 6. And let me, right? Because that's what I could, you know. But how unhelpful is all of that, right? When we first say, I'm sorry, just know this the first time, we usually get it wrong. And here's where the next person can really help. You want love and goodness in your relationship. Say it like this. Sweetheart, it's not about that. It's about this. I'll give you a great illustration. There's a couple that got two of the nines upset over hot dog or ketchup on a mustard. Uh, sorry, hot, cut, ketchup or mustard on a hot dog. I'm not kidding you. They came in and met with me. This is 30 years ago in Boulder. Came in and met with me, and they went at it for about five or six minutes over hot dog, ketchup, and mustard. And I just kind of in my young pastor way said, guys, I don't think you're here because of uh, ketchup and mustard. And she goes, you're dang right we're not here because of ketchup and mustard. It's because he never listens when we're having a conversation. I went, wow, okay, I think we're now getting to the root issue. And then it went, right, right? And, it, and you know what it went to? You know one of the hardest pains that we feel as humans? Taken for granted. You wouldn't feel good if I took you for granted. So in this process, the person comes back and says, sweetheart, what really hurts is you take me for granted. And you don't listen when we have conversations. Could you work on that? I'm sorry for taking you for granted. You're right. And I will work harder to listen on that. And then the hard three words at the end are, will you please forgive me? And now that other person is in that big spot. The spotlight just turned, came off the stage, and is right at you on row number 11 over there, seat G. And it says, what you say next, we'll talk about the next two to three years of your relationship. And those words should be this, I forgive you. I forgive you. That stops that crazy crane to bitterness land in Disney World. It does. I forgive you. I forgive you, says I give away the right to be vengeful and angry and bitter towards you. I will now go forward. Let's move on. Friends, God's given us a good teaching about this. Do you want to be right? Do you want to be reconciled? It's kind of up to you. It's kind of up to you. I'm watching all the data points out in the world. I think God's got a better way. Amen? Well, let's hear the person who's going to close us out. God was loving and powerful enough to resolve our conflict with Him. And He now calls you to reflect His love in your relationships. It's a necessary part of your faith. If it's time for you to resolve some conflicts and you need direction or prayer, please text FHNEXTSTEP to 97000 so we can fight alongside you. For those at home, please take some time to consider what you've heard today by reviewing the discussion questions. If you're on campus, please stand for a blessing. 
Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.